Hey folks, welcome back to the Culture Jack podcast. Welcome back to the show where I struggle to define and maintain a consistent brand. <laughs> consistent brand. I'm your host, uh, Dustin. I just got done having a really wonderful conversation about uh, Ori and the Will of the Wisps, Ori in the Blind Forest, with uh, one of my coworkers, a person who shares my enthusiasm and my passion for that game. And it's really, it's just, it's so cool. And I know, you know, Moon Studios is going through some stuff right now. Moon Studios is getting a little slap on the slap on the wrist because they have been behaving badly. But that should not undermine the incredible value that goes into creating something as artistic and beautiful and and heartwarming and moving as Ori and the Will of the Wisps uh, and its its predecessor Ori in the Blind Forest. And it's just nice to to share that kind of um, passion and excitement about anything with with someone else. This is the Culture Jack podcast, though. And before we jump into this whole thing, if you'd be so kind, follow the podcast and consider adding me and Culture Jacked to your weekly listening routine. Hello to all of the new listeners of Culture Jack that we've had this last week. It has been super cool to see this community grow, and I'm so happy to have you as part of it. And to all of the, the seasoned Culture Jacked listeners, if you could, for the new folks, show them around. Show them where to get fresh towels and, you know, acquaint them with the chore list. I have dishes today, but, uh, you know, vacuuming and laundry still needs to be done. Today on the show, we've got some news. It's it's, it's one of the news shows. So uh, big winners from the 2022 Nickelodeon's Kids' Choice Awards and the 2022 BAFTA Video Game Awards. We've got big news stuff in in movies and video games, like the metaverse means different things to different people. Uh, Ezra Miller's escapades and big changes coming to the DCEU because of him, perhaps, and also uh, maybe not because of him, because of other things like the Discovery Warner Brothers acquisition has closed. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, Unreal Engine 5 is now ready uh, to be used by anyone, though there have been some people using it already. I'm looking at you, the Coalition, Kingdom Hearts 4. Yes, Kingdom Hearts 4. We're going to talk about uh, that as well. Uh, some people have put some stuff out there already. We're also going to answer one of your letters, and if you would like to have your question answered on the show, check out the email in the description. Check out the social media links in the description. Hit me up. I'll be happy to read your thing on this podcast. I also take a look at some old movies that I would recommend personally. And uh, I review the third and fourth episode of Moon Knight. Uh, this show is absolutely filled to the brim. I put a lot of hard work into it for you. And so without further ado, let's uh, let's jump into the movie news, shall we? So these are some big movie uh, stories since our last news show. And most of these came from comicbook.com. Uh, but we did recently have the 2022 Nickelodeon Kids Choice Awards. I don't know why I'm struggling saying that so much. And I know I in not not the previous episode but the one right before that 
I had said that I'm not a big award show kind of guy, you know, kind of uh, disparaging the Oscars a little bit like, yeah, you know, the Will Smith slap thing that that dominated social media, that dominated the conversation in the weeks to follow. Really beyond that, I didn't pay much attention to the award show. And so you would think, well, I'm not really about award show, but I have covered several award show shows in the past, like the Game Awards. I talk about that kind of stuff. You know, I go about talking about the E3 stuff, which isn't happening this year. We talked about that last time. So this one, I'm just going to highlight kind of a, a few of the winners. Um, and, and this helps me because unlike uh, the video game awards, unlike maybe even the Oscars, where I'm familiar with a lot of the faces that are involved, you know, a lot of the directors are legacy directors that have been there for a long time or actors that have been in the industry for a long time that have now gone on to become directors and producers and things like that. So I'm familiar with a lot of the players in that industry. The Nickelodeon Kids Choice Awards is cool for me being a, a growing, as we all, as we all are, uh, an aging, as we all are, person, I get to, you know, see what the kids are up to, see what they're really into. So uh, the first award went to the best movie, which they voted for Spider-Man No Way Home, which got a snub at the Oscars as well. Their favorite actress was Zendaya. Their favorite actor was Tom Holland. So these kids had a, a pure and solid focus about Spider-Man at these uh, at these awards. The best female creator, they said, was Charlie D'Amelio, and the best male creator was Mr. Beast. Now, I'm not familiar with Charlie D'Amelio, but I am very familiar with Mr. Beast. My kids watch him all the time. They love to see him put on his competitions, and I have to admit, though, some of his, some of his material is a little bit... It's a little bit wild for me. Uh, the kids like it, and I can I can absolutely see his appeal. Uh, the best album and song went to Happier Than Ever. The album and uh, the song as well named the same thing by Billie Eilish. The global music star, they voted for Adele. Their, their favorite female artist was Ariana Grande, and their favorite male artist was Ed Sheeran. And their favorite animated movie was Encanto. So that was the Nickelodeon uh, Kids' Choice Awards. I know there were more awards that I just didn't, I don't know, care about, like influencer and social media. Like, yeah, yeah. Some, You know, sometimes when I talk about this stuff, I feel like, you know, old man yells at sky sort of thing. And I don't think I'm that bad. There are some people that I know <laughs> that are that bad where they're just like, everything that the youth is, I hate it. Well, everything that the youth is is everything that this is going to be because that's, that's how it goes. Like we have a turn. Some people had a turn before us and then some people are going to have a turn after us. So I like, I like, uh, reading up on these things. It makes me feel hip and youthful and fresh. All right. So on to some news, Anthony Mackie says he spent time on Wakanda forever set. Now I think this is really cool. Um, obviously, uh, it's, it's such a bummer that we don't get Chadwick Boseman for this sequel. But we also don't get, for different reasons, Captain Steve Rogers. Uh, who was the, the fucking actor that played that guy? <laughs> Chris Evans. We don't get Chris Evans either. So we have a new Captain America, uh, Sam Wilson, the Falcon, 
who is now Captain America. We have a new Black Panther, who we all assume is going to be Latita Wright's Shuri. And in the MCU so far, Captain America and Black Panther and the nation of Wakanda have had a good relationship. You know, in that Steve Rogers took um, took the Winter Soldier to Wakanda to heal. Uh, they they fought on the battlefield together, the Black Panther and Captain America. So it's 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 really cool to see this kind of passing of a torch between mantles, between the Captain America mantle and the Black Panther mantle uh, to their successors and having them maybe work together. I'm very excited about this potential. I cannot wait for a trailer. Uh, Jared Leto used a wheelchair on set for his method acting during Morbius. Now, I still haven't seen Morbius, but I've seen the trailers. And in the trailers, Dr. Michael Morbius has a blood disorder that causes him to have some kind of, of handicap, some immobility issues. And he's in a wheelchair or he's on crutches most of the time. I guess he was he was using the crutches to go use the bathroom, but it was taking too long, uh, like 45 minute bathroom breaks on set and so the production crew got him a wheelchair so he could still continue to <laughs> to be the the handicapped person that he was portraying in the movie with his method acting but not hold up the production too terribly much so I thought that was really 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 funny uh, also in other maybe not related news maybe not Mads Mikkelsen calls method acting quote bullshit uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 broke the record for the most makeup applied on a single production. This was announced via a tweet by James Gunn. The previous record holder of this uh, particular thing was by the, I can't remember what year it was, but the Jim Carrey Grinch movie. So if you remember the Who's and the Grinch, all of them covered in makeup. A lot of makeup. All right, let's talk about Ezra Miller. For just a moment, I know we mentioned him in the last news broadcast, but Ezra Miller is kind of a interesting character and a very interesting person. So just to kind of recap, he was arrested in Hawaii after he had a physical altercation in a bar with a couple of which uh, Ezra said he was going to bury them. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know really what came out of it. But there was a restraining order that was filed against Ezra Miller by the couple. And that restraining order was dropped last week or the week before last. There have been reports that Warner Brothers had to call an emergency meeting about Ezra Miller uh, to, I guess, kind of figure out what to do with him. And then uh, Warner Brothers made a public statement that said, hey, we did not have any such meeting about Ezra Miller but they totally had a meeting about Ezra Miller. He was spotted out dancing in Hawaii weeks after his arrest as well. Um, so there is a petition going on online right now to have The Flash be played by Grant Gustin, replacing Ezra Miller in the DCEU as The Flash proper. Now, what that would do to the CW Network star The Flash, what that would do to that series, who knows, I think it would be great. I think it would be great. And I've mentioned before how much I like the fact that DC is kind of 
all of their projects seem really separated. Whereas Marvel has this one great big continuity that they like to stick together. They've got, they've got plot threads and outlines and connective tissue between all of their different properties where the DCEU feels disconnected and it feels disparate from one another. And that is just a ripe calling for a multiverse style situation or a, a variant of another character to pop up in which case this would be perfect. This would be perfect for the flash movie. I know that movie has been long beleaguered, long delayed, but I think that, you know, if they, if they put all their pieces in the right spot, well then by God, it would, it'd be perfect. And I really like Grant Gustin too, even though the quality of that flash show has gone down dramatically in the last few seasons. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. is involved, reportedly, in two Sherlock Holmes spinoffs for HBO Max. Now, whether his involvement is uh, so far as being, once again, Sherlock Holmes, or if he is uh, just playing a maybe a directing role, a producing role, or something, something along the lines. But I'm very excited, especially if those those uh, spinoffs are kind of in the same vein as the Sherlock Holmes movies, because those were absolutely amazing. I, li- I like those very much. Disney Plus, uh, we, we gave you the news last time that Disney Plus added the Netflix Marvel stuff and some adult features, you know, so you could do some more um, careful monitoring of your children on the service. But Disney Plus accidentally added Hot Shots and Hot Shots Part Due um, by mistake on the service. Then they removed them. Now, if you haven't seen these movies, they're, you know, parody movies. And I think they have Charlie Sheen in them as well. Uh, they were kind of a parody of the Top Gun movies, and they have some very raunchy scenes. I remember watching them as a, as a child. <laughs> Um, and they weren't appropriate for me to be watching at the time. I was very excited. There's a scene in one of them wherein Charlie Sheen and this woman are getting very intimate and she ties him to a bed and she walks up this like spiral staircase and she takes her top off and she walks out on this diving board and she does like a backflip to mount Charlie Sheen (laughs) and you can't really see anything, but there's a silhouette that really would make a, a young, uh, impressionable, um, feeling his hormones, horny little Dustin go, go a little bit crazy. So definitely not maybe appropriate for the service. However, also appropriate for the service because the service now has parental controls. Watch what your kids are watching. Pay attention to your children. My position has not changed. Put Hot Shots back on Disney+. Plus. I'm, I'm telling you now. The internet is now clamoring for a Sam Raimi Spider-Man 4 feature after the success of Spider-Man No Way Home. I'd like to see Spider-Man 4. But before I'd like to see Spider-Man 4, I'd like to see an amazing Spider-Man 3. And we'll have to see because Sam Raimi is directing Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Comes out next month, May 6th. Mark your calendars. Um... So we'll see how successful that film is. Not to mention, I'm sure these talks are already being had at Marvel. Spider-Man No Way Home was a huge success. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness had huge rewrites and reshoots. 
who's to say whether there's a potential of Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man coming back to reprise his role as Peter Parker in a Spider-Man 4. But again, I'd much rather see Andrew Garfield take another another shot at it before I see Toby back. John Cena is going to star in a Warner Brothers film about a Wiley E. Coyote lawsuit, uh, which should be very funny. I have no idea what that's about. I don't know if it's animated, if it's done in kind of uh, the same way that the Looney Tunes back in action with, with Brendan Fraser or Space Jam with LeBron James. I don't know if it's kind of that hybrid animation one or if it's all animated or all live action. Uh, we'll have to see. Morbius crosses the $100 million mark at the worldwide box office, though it does see a second weekend box office drop. I think it only made like $10 million in its second weekend. Okay, and here's here's the big news. Uh, maybe it's the biggest news of the whole show. I don't know. Uh, and it's news that I, I, I could have swore I, I probably heard about or read about, but maybe I didn't make much of it. But the Warner Brothers Discovery deal closes. AT&T sold to Discovery, Warner Brothers, and a bunch of other uh, studios for $43 billion. And now it is no longer Warner Brothers. It's Warner Brothers Discovery. So Ann Sarnoff and Andy Forcelli are leaving the company, uh, which is huge news because Ann Sarnoff was one of the, uh, the the major architects of saying that, you know, the, the Snyderverse will not continue. And Sarnoff says, we've had enough of Zack Snyder and his DC vision. Now, this could be important because uh, reportedly, WB Discovery is now looking to reinvigorate the DCEU and find a, quote, Feige-type leader and have more movies like Joker. Uh, so it could be very interesting with these big players out with their intentions laid out. It does kind of leave the open for that hashtag restore the Snyderverse. So we'll have to see uh, what comes out of that. Warner Brothers Discovery revealed a new logo. Like I said, it's now Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, hashtag restore the, uh, the Snyderverse does trend as fans petition Warner Brothers Discovery. Uh, they did announce their first upfront event in May 18th to detail some of their content plans. So look forward to that. Mark your calendars for that one. Um, DCE, DCEU, DC Entertainment, reportedly is undergoing an overhaul at Warner Brothers Discovery. Uh, and they now own uh, Discovery, Discovery Plus, CNN, CNN Plus, HBO and HBO Max, HGTV, Food Network, uh, The Own Network, TLC, TNT, TBS, True TV, Warner Brothers Picture, New Line Cinema, Cartoon Network, and Adult Swim. So it's an absolute juggernaut of an entertainment uh, studio. So, um, and I, I feel the same way about this acquisition that I did about the Microsoft Activision acquisition. For now, it is a, a very good thing for consumers. Um, I'm already getting spread very thin by the streaming services that I do have and, uh, and use. Uh, having, having a consolidation like this with what they have talked about being a massive um, injection of funds, something along the lines of like $20 billion that they're going to invest in content for these services, uh, 
well, they announced that last last year anyway. It's going to be very good in the short term. In the long term, as these uh, services get more must-have, as they become more required for any kind of participation in the water cooler talk the next day, the prices are going to increase. And so we're going to get to a tipping point where we're just like we were when we had cable television before we cut the cable and we are all now on these wonderful cheap uh, streaming services. It's going to, it's going to move people back into piracy. It's going to move them back into the cheaper services or really having to make those decisions about what services they need. And then bundles are going to start showing up again and you are going to have services and bundles that 60%, 70% of the content you won't even want. It'll just be for those few must-have shows, the G- Game of Thrones type shows. And that's a bad example because of the way that one ended. But you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about The Witcher. I'm talking about Moon Knight. Things that you just have to watch. Um, I, I I am excited for the short term, though, to see what they do. Uh, $20 billion worth of content means that we're probably going to get some good con- content. Okay, the Academy... Uh, the Academy from the Academy Awards, the Oscars, they made their decision. They have banned Will Smith from the Oscars for 10 years. They have decided not to pull his Oscar. And a lot of people online are saying, you know, it's probably good that they didn't decide to pull his Oscar because of his behavior. Because honestly, in the movie industry, there's a lot of unscrupulous, a lot of scandalous behavior that goes on. And if they made that a precedent where they they pulled this man's Oscar for slapping this other man, albeit it was on live TV, it was in front of the whole um, the whole viewing world, which, you know, if you believe the ratings thing is probably it's not that much. Um, But they would have to pull a, a great deal of other people's Oscars as well. So to avoid opening up that Pandora's box, at least for right now, they've decided not to pull his Oscar. It still yet remains to be seen whether Will Smith will voluntarily give back his Oscar or not. My money would be on no, but that is, I guess, the end of that story for now. You know, until, you know, Will Smith and Chris Rock and Jada Pinkett Smith all release, you know, their books and their audio tapes and their uh, exclusive documentaries that they sell to Warner Brothers Discovery and the like, I guess. Charlize Theron is going to produce an Aqualad series or movie on HBO Max, but she has a connection to that she's producing. Uh, that'll be very fun. More more comic book movie, um, comic book movies and comic book shows. Yes, please. Thank you very much. Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness is projected at a $205 million opening weekend. And it's uh, also been announced that it has a runtime of two hours and six minutes. Um, So not a super long movie. But we have some very big expectations for what this movie is going to do and mean for the multiverse of the MCU. $205 million. That's a a great deal of money. That's a lot of money. I mean, I know Spider-Man No Way Home proved that the theater is not dead and that movies can still be blockbusters and runaway successes. I don't know if that is just like an anomaly or if that's just a Marvel thing or if, hey, maybe we're back. Maybe we're back to this theater stuff. 
Uh, Doctor Strange, oddly enough, won't be screened until it's Hollywood premiere. And I think it's Hollywood premiere. God, is it on the same day? Is it on May 6th? Because Moon Knight ends on the 4th. This thing that I'm thinking, it just keeps roiling around in my brain that there is a deep connection between Moon Knight and Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, just based on the the final episode of Moon Knight premiering merely two days before Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness premieres. They've got to be connected in some way. Speaking of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, there's a character in there, a new character, America Chavez. Um, Her creator says that he feels insulted by Marvel's pittance of an offer ahead of her MCU debut. Uh, Creator Joe Casey, quote, feels a tinge of regret watching his creation take off without being meaningfully compensated for it. Uh, So he understands that the character was created while he was working at Marvel. So it's under the Marvel banner. So it is, of course, the property of Marvel and Disney. But he feels it's it's disrespectful to not be compensated in a way that I, I guess he deems appropriate. I think I can't remember if it was him or if it was someone else with this same kind of grievance. Maybe it was the Winter Soldier creator said something like $5,000 was what they were going to offer them to uh, say, hey, yeah, you, you've got my my blessing. They're going to do it anyway. But um, so, yeah, not very much. But he said he regretted he, he refused it. He refused their pittance of an offer um, and he's in a place to do so. He says he's in a privileged place where he doesn't necessarily need the money, but he felt it was important to speak out in a calm and respectful way in case other creators in the future were also lowballed by Disney in this same way. Uh, so the next creator might be, might be compensated a little bit better than, than he was. Um, Brie Larson is joining fast 10 stranger things Four, we got a trailer looks exciting. Um, stranger things is always a good time. I don't know what it is about that, but you know, they just put the music on just very lightly in the background of that trailer. And I got nostalgic for stranger things. And it's not that old. It's not something that warrants my nostalgia. It's not something from my youth that I remember fondly. It's something that I think has created a false nostalgia, (laughs) a false nostalgia within us. And kind of tricked our brains into thinking it's this grand nostalgic thing. And that could just be because of the time frame that it's set in or the way that it's filmed or the way that it is reminiscent of those movies and shows that we watched as children. Whether they were, uh, you know, E.T. or Sandlot or whatever the whatever the hell we watched. Christopher Lloyd and Rachel Lake Cook are starring in a spirit Halloween movie. You know the the spirit store that sells like Halloween costumes and fake uh, tombstones and skeletons and stuff like that? Well, apparently there's a movie coming out. I'm excited to see what that's about. I can't say that I, I'm excited for the movie, but I'm excited to hear more information on it, like if that makes sense. Uh, I saw a trailer for Paws of Fury, Michael Sarah, Samuel L. Jackson, um, Mel Brooks, I saw was in it. I didn't even know Mel Brooks was still around. Um, but the best part of this trailer <laughs> is Samuel L. Jackson plays this old samurai cat who's since retired, but is now training a young, 
uh, young dog to defend a village who's played by Michael Sarah. And Samuel L. Jackson's the old wizened samurai cat. And at one point in the trailer, he says, <laughs> he says, what in the mother cocker spaniel is this? And I just thought, what a beautiful way. What a very just sublime way to get Samuel L. Jackson's kind of uh, trademark into a children's movie without putting it into a children's movie. <laughs> I just think it's the best. I think it's the coolest thing. Uh, National Treasure is getting a new series on Disney Plus with not Nicolas Cage, but the other guy, the sidekick guy. And it's been so long since I've seen those movies, though undoubtedly those are some of the greatest movies in the history of cinema because they star our Lord and Savior Nicolas Cage. The <laughs> The unbearable weight of massive talent. I'm so bummed that comes out in theaters only. It should be streaming. Um, I'm happy for him, but I really want to watch that movie, and I don't want to go to the theater to watch it. Netflix adds a feature to give a double thumbs up. So like before, if you liked a thing, you give a thumbs up. You didn't like a thing, give a thumbs down. And that was like the curation system for your Netflix uh, feed. Well, now... You've got the double thumbs up option to where if you really like a thing, like they will really push things like it uh, for you and, and it will help you better curate your feed, or at least that's the thinking behind it. Susan Sarandon has been cast in Blue Beetle. Um, so that's kind of exciting. I mean, you know, a, a incredible legacy behind Susan Sarandon. Uh, she's played hero and villain alike. And I love to see I love to see these kinds of casting. So we'll we'll see. I can't remember what character she plays in Blue Beetle, but I'm also excited about Blue Beetle because Blue Beetle, surprisingly enough, is one of the characters that I know terrifyingly little about. Uh, Eternal star Barry Keegan was arrested in Dublin for public intoxication. So it doesn't seem like this is a, a Ezra Miller type event. His arrest. Uh, but moreover, uh, a jolly event. Like he was, he had had a little too much, was having a little too fun, being a little too too loud. He was arrested and arrested and released. And then our last bit of news, unfortunately, is a, a sad bit of news. Uh, Gilbert Gottfried has passed away at the age of sixty-seven. He passed away a couple of weeks ago at the time. Uh, of this uh, podcast published, and it's a bummer. Um, I, I I won't even try and do his do his voice now, but he had such a distinct voice, such a distinct type of humor, and um, he is an actor that you know I, along with many others, probably many other listeners of this podcast, especially if you are on you know the '90s bent of nostalgia that we are on a lot of the time, uh, will remember him as Iago, the the parrot. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a bummer that he, that he, that he passed away, but I mean, he's 67 years old. Uh, so ET cites the genetic and rare diseases information center in the diagnosis, diagnosis, um, stating the comedian actor died quote from recurrent ventricular tachycardia due to mitonic dystrophy type two described as an inherited dystrophy that affects the muscles and other systems, which could result in an abnormal heartbeat. Um, his family put out a statement that said, 
uh, quote, we are heartbroken to announce the passing of our beloved Gilbert Gottfried after a long illness. In addition to being the most iconic voice in comedy, <laughs> isn't that the truth? Uh, quote, Gilbert was a wonderful husband, brother, friend, and father to his two young children. Although today is a sad day for all of us, please keep laughing as loud as possible in Gilbert's honor. Love the Gottfried family. Oh, that's very, very nice. Rest in peace, Gilbert. I don't know. That wasn't that wasn't very good. Um, all right. Yeah. Rest. Rest in. Rest in peace, Gilbert Gottfried. All right. One last thing before we get off of the movie stuff. Uh, some upcoming, upcoming movies uh, coming out today. Actually, if you're in the theater, and I know I said I wasn't gonna make it, but maybe I will. Two movies, The Bad Guys, that animated movie that my son really wants to see, and The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Now, I am presented with a dilemma in this case. I am presented with a, uh, a, a push and pull of, of feelings and emotions and wants and desires and needs because my son wants to see this Bad Guys movie, but I want to see The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Should I placate my son or find... Someone to watch him while I go watch Nicolas Cage and what could be his finest work ever. If the world ends tomorrow and I don't get to see Nicolas Cage playing himself, well then frankly, I've played myself. I'll probably end up taking my son to the bad guys though. Anyway, those two movies come out today. Coming out tomorrow on April 23rd, PJ Masks, We Can All Be Heroes. That one's for Anthony specifically. Anthony, I know you're listening out there. Um, take your son to this one. PJ Masks, We Can All Be Heroes. He'd like that. And then the final movie that I'm excited about coming out is on May 6th, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Oh, my gosh. I cannot wait for this movie. It's going to be so good. Maybe... I always feel like I'm building up my expectations too high for a Marvel movie, but then I always feel full after I'm done watching a Marvel movie. I always feel like that was just amazing. Give me the next one. I can't, I can't wait for the next thing that you guys are going to give me. And then in the same token, in the same breath, after I feel so full and, and so well placated uh, from a movie that I enjoy so much, I always feel like I don't want to watch it again ever. And I don't know if that is a, a product of me not wanting to rewatch or replay anything because I'm an adult and I don't have time. All, all I have time for is new things. Or if it is a, a product of the comic books, because I don't typically like to reread a comic either. It, and in that way, I think these comic book movies will be the truest adaptation to that medium uh, that, that we'll see. And so in that case, I guess it's a good thing. Anyway, that's all I got for movies. Ladies and gentlemen, it's uh, Mambo number five. It's not Mambo number five. It is the big gaming stories and news since our last news show. And most of these, as per usual, I got from GamingBolt.com. I threw in a couple from TheGamer.com. But I want to start out with another award show. 
Like I started out with the Nickelodeon Kids Awards show, the Choice Awards, uh, for the movies. So this is the BAFTA British Academy of Film and Television Video Game Awards for 2022 winners. So we're just going to run through this here. Um, but before we do, like, who decides what games to play or what movies or shows to watch based on award shows anymore? Like, is there anyone really that hasn't, hasn't found their niche that they enjoy uh, consuming? You know, like, obviously, I'm into the comic book movies. Obviously, I'm into uh, RPG games and anime. Like, I know what I'm about. I'm not waiting for some some panel somewhere to tell me what shows to watch or what games to play. So <clears throat> who are the who are these people? What is the direction that these award shows are going? Like are we seeing them go the way of basic cable television as we talked about the Oscar viewership declining over recent years? Like is this is this it, is this it for them? Uh, so animation and technical achievement uh, went to Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. Artistic achievement went to The Artful Escape, very appropriate. Audio achievement, uh, music, and best game all were rewarded, uh, awarded to Returnal. Returnal was awarded all three of those awards. Whew, got through it. Uh, the best British game, which is an interesting category, although I guess this is the uh, British, British Academy, was Forza Horizon 5. The best debut game was Toeim, which I hadn't even heard of. The best evolving game was No Man's Sky. Best family game was Chicory. I need to play that. I've heard it's very, very good. It made a lot of Game of the Year lists for 2021. Uh, game Beyond Entertainment, Before Your Eyes. The best game design went to Inscription. The best multiplayer game and original property awards went to It Takes Two, a game that I've given my accolades many, many times on this broadcast. The best narrative and EE game of the year went to Unpacking, which to me, when I saw that at the E3 showcase, not the E3 showcase, but I think it was in the, the Wholesome Games category or the Wholesome Games showcase during E3 2021, uh, looked very, very boring. You just put things away. Uh, the best performer in a leading role went to Jane Perry, who plays Celine from Returnal, and the best performer in a supporting role uh, went to Kimberly Brooks, who played Hollis Forsyth from Psychonauts 2, a game that I still have yet to play, but need to very, very badly. Okay, game awards aside, let's start with some rumors here. Uh, there is a rumor that Microsoft is considering permanently merging Xbox Live Gold with Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. Now, this could be in relation to last time we reported a potential Xbox Game Pass family plan, uh, so this could be an increase in price that we're going to get with the inclusion of a couple extra benefits to include maybe Game Pass, uh, maybe Live Gold and the family, the family version of whatever Game Pass uh, that turns out to be. There's a rumor that Shinmu 4 is possibly being teased by publisher 110 Industries. Another rumor, Call of Duty could resume annual releases in 2024. It seems that Sledgehammer is working on a new installment of the game series. I'm not a huge fan of that rumor. Uh, well, and I've said before, I'm not a huge fan of Call of Duty in general. But I think that the game could benefit from, from being removed from the requisite annual release 
uh, schedule that it's it's been involved in for so long. There is a rumor that the Xbox Series X has a chip revision reportedly in the in the works, and so that chip revision could mean something like a Xbox Series X half step, maybe an Xbox Series X two or an Xbox Series Y or something like that. Ah, uh, what do you think about these console console generations and half steps? whether it was the Xbox One, then the Xbox One X and One S, uh, or the, the PlayStation 4 and the PlayStation 4 Pro. Um, what do you think uh, about you know these systems essentially getting you twice for the same system? And yeah, there are graphical improvements. Yeah, there are speed and fidelity improvements, um, all kinds of uh, frame rate increases and all, all kinds of uh, hardware I, I guess that's running in a, in a much better fashion, but like really, it we never got the Super Nintendo two, we never got the Super Nintendo Pro, we never got the the Game GameCube Series S. Like this is all a very a very new thing, and I I can't say that I'm a huge a huge fan of it. Unreal Engine five has launched. In full. So if you were waiting to design your game until you had access to Unreal Engine 5, well, now, now is the time. There's been a few things uh, with Unreal Engine 5 that have been showcased. The Coalition, the developers behind the Gears of War games, revealed The Cavern. It was like a, a short little animation. This guy's lost in a cave, and there's this like very dangerous-looking smoke and creature. Um, it is an Unreal Engine 5 tech test. And it showcased, apparently, a hundred times the detail that Unreal Engine 4 does. So, it, it was very pretty. I watched the trailer. Uh, it was very nice. But we'll have to see kind of how that translates into an, you know, an actual game. Uh, the next Tomb Raider game in development at Crystal Dynamics is also supposed to be using Unreal Engine 5. Kingdom Hearts 4 was announced, so if you guys missed that announcement, that was pretty cool. They they dropped a little teaser trailer for that, so that'll probably be out sometime after 2030. <laughs> if if the announcement from Kingdom Hearts 3 to the actual the published date, the release date of Kingdom Hearts 3 is any indication, we are going to be waiting on Kingdom Hearts 4 for at least a good decade or more. I don't know if it was that long. It couldn't have been that long. Um, but the trailer they released, uh, I did recently learn that it was released uh, in Unreal Engine 4. However, they do plan on upgrading those uh, assets to Unreal Engine 5 in the actual game release. And then there was a trailer uh, for a game developed in Unreal Engine 5 called Hell Is Us. And this game is supposed to be coming out sometime in 2023. Um... If this is the game that I'm thinking of with the trailer, it's like this woman and she's she's holding a gun. This guy's kneeling and they're they're like reverberating through space time. They're sending out after images of themselves that are going out in these very very stark geometrical patterns, you know, up at an angle, making them look like a V. And she shoots him in the head and he falls over and she says the thing again. She says, how could you make me do this or something along those lines? And then time rewinds itself and they stand back up and they pan back out. And they are in this like red amorphous blob that is just pulsating in the air. And from the inside of the blob comes a drone, one of the coolest looking drones I'd ever seen. It's got like um, 
like two arms and then like a oscillating tail that helps it maneuver while it's airborne. And it flies over to what we assume is probably the protagonist of the game, a hooded stranger in a dystopian wasteland looking at this amorphous red blob and it flies on and attaches to his back and hell is us is the trailer. If I'm thinking of the right trailer. Uh, so unreal engine five, have you seen the trailers for that? Looks pretty neat, that that kind of stuff. Return to Monkey Island has been announced, and it will be directed by the original Monkey Island director. I was never a big fan of the Monkey Island games, though I have heard that from what the director is saying about this uh, about this sequel, because it's not a reboot, it's it is a it is a sequel. Uh, is that it ties in very much to that original game's lore. So if you were a big Monkey Island fan, apparently there was a big secret, a big twist, and and that is um, that's going to be retained for the sequel. Trek to Yomi is about five hours long. If you haven't watched the trailer for this game, it's a 2D side-scroller. It looks very much Ghost of Inuyasha. Ghost of Inuyasha. <laughs> Kagome! Kagome, not Ghost of Inuyasha, you dumbass. It's um, Ghost of Ghost of Tsushima. Jeez, Louise. Uh, it looks very much Ghost of Tsushima meets 2D side-scroller. Essentially, it's a black and white game, and you are a samurai. And supposedly, it's supposed to focus on, quote, retaining the feeling of a classic samurai movie. So I'm looking forward to that. It's it's coming out on everything, I think. And so most likely it'll be out on Game Pass. At least that's what I'm counting on. Halo Infinite. There is supposedly been a, quote, last Spartan standing mode discovered. And people are thinking this is an indication that Halo Infinite is going to soon be getting a Battle Royale mode or a Battle Royale mode was at one time planned and then not added to the game. I've got mixed feelings about this because, you know, a couple of my favorite games right now are Apex Legends and Fortnite. I'm having an incredible time in Fortnite no build mode or zero build mode, I think is what they call it. Uh, Apex Legends is always such a fun game and they're very distinct games. You know, we we saw a flood of Battle Royale games, but you don't see many of them anymore. I mean, you, you don't see the like the ones that didn't make it. There were a bunch that were released and a bunch that subsequently fell off. Uh, they all want to have this like live service model with it, where they sell you skins and uh, backgrounds and weapon wraps and all kinds of stuff. And they keep introducing more and more content um, uh, season after season, month after month, right? Uh, but there's not a lot that have really stuck around. Like if you if you think there's really like four major players right now, and that's Fortnite, it's Apex Legends. It's PUBG and Warzone, right? I mean, all the other ones kind of went the way of the Dodo. They're not not really kicking it anymore. So if Halo Infinite could pull off a successful Battle Royale game, I think it would be worth exploring. Or at, at least it would be worth trying out how successful a Xbox exclusive Battle Royale game is going to be. I don't know. And so does this open the door to maybe... Halo appearing on a PlayStation console. I know it doesn't. That's a that's a ridiculous notion. I'm sorry, PlayStation fans. Uh, 
I don't think it, I don't think it would ever happen. THQ Nordic Digital has a showcase that's set for August 12th, so mark your calendar for that. And Ubisoft says more of their games will feature Quartz NFT support coming soon. So look forward to that if you're in that cryptocurrency space, I guess. Tactics Ogre Reborn has a trademark that's been filed for uh, by Square Enix. So if you're you're looking to, to pick that game up again or live relive some of that nostalgia from the old Tactics Ogre franchise, well, maybe it's coming soon. Okay, so here's some kind of big news in regards to cryptocurrency, the blockchain, NFTs, and the metaverse. Uh, Epic Games receives $1 billion in funding from Sony, Kirkby, uh, from Sony and Kirkby, and Kirkby is the holding company behind the Lego group. Uh, they, they've gotten this funding to, quote, build the metaverse. Uh, so it adds to another billion that was raised by Epic last year, and I think this billion was like 200 million Sony and then the other the other 800 mil from Kirkby Studios, or, or Kirkby Group, I guess. Um, it 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 made it made a whole slew of people realize that when people say metaverse, when these CEOs say metaverse, and these um, company finance meetings, you know, you know, say metaverse to their shareholders, it doesn't necessarily mean the Mark Zuckerberg vision for a metaverse. It doesn't necessarily mean we're all going to have a VR headset and, you know, tactile gloves and haptic uh, body feedback suits with ads plastered in front of our eyes the whole time. What it could potentially mean is something like Fortnite, something like World of Warcraft, where you already have this this huge swath of players, of characters, of people coming into your game and going to concerts. I mean, you know, at least in the Fortnite metaverse, Travis Scott isn't killing people <laughs> during his, his con remember, because he killed all those people at that concert. I mean, saying that he killed them is a little extreme, I suppose, but uh, definitely didn't stop the concert. Like, they had too many people there, and those people died unnecessarily. But that's none of my business. He's not killing people in Fortnite like I am. I am absolutely murdering people in Fortnite. That's not true. If anyone plays Fortnite with me, it's definitely true. You want me on your team. Gabe Newell gave an example. Uh, Gabe Newell of, of Steam, uh, he said that Final Fantasy XIV is an existing metaverse already. And so this idea that it has to be built in a VR space is not necessarily true, although that runs counter to many of our assumptions about what a metaverse is. But metaverse, essentially at this point, is a shareholder buzzword. That's what the metaverse is. And realistically, you're not going to get any kind of meaningful metaverse until you have a, uh, a large-scale infrastructure that supports online activities that supports the internet that I live in a place where my internet is absolutely rotten. It's just a potato and it's not very good. So I don't think my experience in a virtual metaverse where, you know, I'm going to the, the anime bar to see furries make out or whatever the fuck I'm doing there, uh, is going to be very exciting or very pleasant because they're all going to be lagging in and out of existence. I don't care about that. Uh, the Quarry, 
features movie mode with multiple outcomes and no gameplay. And this is insane to me, but it absolutely makes sense. And I think it's absolutely wonderful. I hear a guy on GameScoop all the time, Justin, I think, uh, is who, who talks about it. But he always talks about ownership of games. And like, you have the game, you should be able to break the game in the ways that you want to break the game. You should be able to access every part of that game, just like you can access every part of a book, every part of a movie, the moment that you buy your DVD or your your paperback, right? Um, and so this kind of is to that end, like it requires no skill for you to, to access these different parts of the story, but will allow you to enjoy those parts of the story all the same. And so I think when it comes to accessibility of games, like if you are not a good gamer, you still spent your $60. You should still get to experience. And I know there's people in, in the camp of, you know, get good noob sort of thing where, if you can't beat the game, then you don't deserve the ending. And that's nonsense because any of those people could go, you know, they could bring up 10,000 streams of that game, 10,000 uh, gameplay walkthroughs of that game right now on YouTube, and they could watch the ending for themselves. So, I mean, that argument's kind of bunk, I feel. But of course, that's a incredible straw man that I just pulled your welcome uh, debate teams around the country. I will, I will sign up uh, to your, to your little club. All Activision Blizzard QA testers will become full-time company employees. So says Activision Blizzard, which is awesome. I know, I think it was Raven Software was the QA joint that we're going to unionize. So I don't know what effects this announcement will have on those unionization efforts, or if this uh, quashed any attempt to unionize whatsoever, like their demands were met essentially, and uh, they've all got they've all got work. Uh, some multiverses gameplay footage was leaked, and that's multiverses. That's the uh, DC Warner Warner <laughs> Warner Brothers, DC Warner Brothers uh, game where you can play as Harley Quinn and you can play as Finn from Adventure Time and you can play as Batman and you can play as Cat Dog and Wonder Woman and all these other uh, DC Warner Brothers uh, characters. It looked fine. It's going to be a hit on the competitive uh, Smash gaming circuit. So the Smash Brothers types type of people they're gonna they're gonna love this game kingdom hearts missing link was announced for ios and android it was announced during the same time that that kingdom hearts 4 trailer was dropped and there is an animated destiny show in the works <clears throat> now this next one i'm very excited about max Payne one and two are being remade as a single title by remedy to develop and rockstar to publish um this is exciting for a couple of reasons because uh, first and foremost, the pedigree of the publisher and developer of this uh, of this remake are incredible. Of course, Rockstar is responsible for games like Grand Theft Auto and Remedy responsible for games like Control and the Alan Wake series. So there's an incredible pedigree behind them, uh, not to mention there is an incredible amount of budget behind them. Take-Two Interactive and Rockstar are having incredibly deep pockets. So this game is going to be getting all of the TLC that it, that it needs. And this is an announcement it's a combination of Max Payne 1 and 2. 
And if the Rockstar development cycle is to be believed, if they haven't already started on this game, we're probably looking at another five or six years before it, it has any kind of actualization or realization in the public space. I also am excited about Max Payne 1 and 2 because I never played them, but I have seen them played. And they were one of the first games, well, Max Payne and then subsequently Max Payne 2, were some of the first games that had bullet time in, in games. And what bullet time does is it allows the player to make fast decisions uh, very methodically. They can, they can make fast decisions slowly. Is that the way you want to say that? I don't know. They can, they can take their time in their decision-making in games without it slowing down the pacing of the game because no, the action is taking place in normal time, but you as the gamer, as the player character are just, you are a God. You are beyond the game. You are outside the window of the TV that you are playing and you get to see things as you want them to unfold. Uh, and so bullet time in games has been incredibly helpful and has been uh, applied in so many games. And it's kind of cool to see this game where it kind of started essentially uh, come back and come back in a remade way uh, from, like I said, a very prolific developer and publisher. Uh, Gamescom Asia has been set for October 20 to 23rd. So mark your calendars there. The Witcher 3 next-gen version. You guys heard about that. You know, they're putting out a next-gen version of Witcher 3, which I still haven't played. I still haven't finished Cyberpunk. CD Projekt Red has all of all of these uh, coals in the fire. Um, next-gen version has been delayed indefinitely. And the development has moved in-house uh, they, they said, you know, there's no, no real big reason for it. They just wanted to make sure they do it right and don't crunch. I, I mean, what a incredible amount of scrutiny on CD project red after the debacle that was the cyberpunk 2077 release, which, you know, by every indication that I've seen is a, a complete full and wonderful game now, uh, including, including myself. I just haven't got back to Back to play in it. Uh, Aspire Media announces the acquisition of RPG studio Beamdog. Some more acquisitions going on in the gaming front. Overwatch 2 has a closed beta on April 26th. So here in, shoot, what, four days? And Origin gameplay trailers for a new hero, Sojourn. So there are a lot of people with a lot of opinions on Overwatch. One, a good friend of mine plays Overwatch regularly still. Uh, but there's, I don't know. Is there like 30 characters in it now? 30 heroes? And a lot of uh, sentiment toward this Overwatch 2 is like, why didn't you just upgrade, patch, and, and further better Overwatch 1, where you already have systems for purchase, you already have DLC in, in, involved? Like, why go this extra step and, and make another game that you have to buy Thus, starting over, essentially, with your install base uh, to customers, it just, it seems a little bizarre. Cyberpunk 2077, speaking of, has sold over 18 million copies and is getting an expansion in 2023. And then Bug Snacks is coming to Xbox and Nintendo Switch. I've been excited about this one, but it was a PlayStation exclusive, so I didn't get to play it. Uh, I'm hoping it comes to Game Pass. <laughs> 
God, I feel like I sound like a real uh, cheap ass when I when I talk on this. Yeah, this is a good, good game. Good game. I want to play it. Is it going to come to is it going to come to Game Pass? Are you going to give it to me for free for my subscription to Game Pass? Are you going to do that for me? That's that's it. That's all I that's all I have to talk to you about games. That's a lie. I don't. I have more because I have the upcoming game releases. Let's see. So just a couple days ago. No, this is for the week of eight, April 18th to the 24th. So, yeah, a couple days ago on the 20th, we had Star Wars The Force Unleashed came out for the Nintendo Switch. Uh, Chernobyl, uh, Chernobyl Light, the Enhanced Edition, came out on August 21st for PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X, and PC. Uh, out of the Park Baseball 23 coming out today on PC. Then we have the uh, Stanley Parable, Parable, Stanley Parable, Ultra Deluxe Edition uh, coming out August. August 27th, April 27th. I'm not telling you what's coming out in August. Not even I know. Not even the developers know. Games are getting delayed so damn much. Like, it's it's not even... Nobody knows at this point. It's ridiculous. Anyway, the Stanley Parable... Parable? Parable. The Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe Edition coming out April 27th on all the Xboxes, Playstations, Nintendo Switches, and PCs. Vampire the Masquerade Blood Hunt. On PlayStation 5, April 27th. Rogue Legacy 2 on April 28th on Xbox Series X and 1. Uh, wait. Yeah, Xbox Series X and PC. And then on April 29th, Nintendo Switch Sports. The long-awaited sequel to the Nintendo Wii Sports game. And you, do you guys remember playing Nintendo Wii Sports? Playing bowling? Um... That was a that was a cultural phenomenon. That was uh, I don't know. Everybody was doing it. Why weren't you doing it? Remember all of the Wiimotes that got lost in TVs? <sighs> Those were were the days. It was a simpler time then. All right, and then on May fifth, we've got Rift Tracks, the game coming out on PC. Uh, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch. It's, it's always interesting to me when I'm I'm going through these upcoming games, but they're not coming out on the newest game systems. And then on May 5th as well, we've got Trek to Yomi coming out on PC, PlayStation 5, and 4, and Xbox Series X and 1. Um, and that's that's all the games that are coming out. And that ends my, my gaming news section. So... If you wanted more gaming news, you're just going to have to wait a couple weeks because I'll be, I'll be back at you with more uh, at that time. Look, I know I said that's it for the news, and uh, if it wasn't already uh, previously apparent, I am recording these, these podcast pieces for this podcast episode in different chunks in different recording sections. So I recorded this, this part of Moon Knight Moon Knight episode three before I watched episode four. So any guesses that I make, any theories that I have are not influenced by knowledge of future events of the series. So let's let's just keep these two parts separate of the podcast. Let's let's keep them keep them that way. And I know I said we were done with news, uh, but there was a couple things that happened in between recording sessions. I just a couple of trailers that I want you to go check out. I'm sure you have 
checked out already. Uh, the first one that dropped was the Thor Love and Thunder trailer. And that movie is coming out uh, early July, middle of July, I think. That one, it, it looks so good. It's got, uh, you know, the same kind of Thor Ragnarok vibe that Thor Ragnarok did. Um, not to mention, it looks like Korg, the character voice acted and, and most likely mo-capped by Taika Waititi, is going to play a big part in it. And yeah, we saw Zeus, we saw Jane Jane Foster with her hammer. That looks all super cool. I'm very excited about it. Um, I, I don't know if I like Thor more as a character as I did before in, you know, even in Thor Ragnarok and Infinity War and Endgame. Uh, I think I, I like the, the world in which Thor finds himself living. Uh, that is to say, you know, he's part of the MCU just like anyone else. However, his corner of the MCU, and this has got a huge part to play with Taika Waititi being at the helm, is just so colorful and bright and vibrant. And I've got more thoughts on the trailer, but I'll talk to you about them uh, later. I just wanted to mention it. And the other trailer that I saw <clears throat> was awesome because I, I was looking on YouTube and I, the thumbnail came across and it says 11 time Emmy, Emmy award winning uh, series is back or whatever. And it looked like there was someone in like a beautiful dress. And, uh, what was that? What was that show on Netflix? The queen's gambit. Um, but on the thumbnail, it had some little symbols. It had like an X symbol and a little square symbol that looked like maybe there was a smiley face in it. And I was like, what is this? This can't be. Uh, so I clicked on it and sure enough, you know, it's, it's got, I think maybe scenes from Bridgerton, which I haven't seen, uh, scenes from the Queen's Gambit, and they're going about, you know, they're sitting down playing chess, and then they're also, you know, it looks like a royal wedding or something along those lines, and then the screen starts to glitch out, and I said, oh yeah, I knew I recognized those symbols. The symbols that I'm referencing are symbols from the series Love, Death, and Robots, and so a new trailer for Love, Death, and Robots released couple days ago by the time you're hearing this podcast and it looks amazing it showed a bunch of stuff from the the first two seasons which were incredible uh i think it was like 18 episodes in that first one or 16 episodes in the first one and 18 in the other or vice versa i can't can't recall um but they were all just like and like an anthology with different animators different kind of parts of this sci-fi future universe um, that most of them, almost any of them could have been expanded into like a full movie or full series and also serves as a, a, a incredible, uh, portfolio piece for those animation studios to kind of showcase their skills and abilities. Um, so that's all on our, our, our Facebook feed. I might've mentioned something about our Instagram as well. If you, if you haven't followed us on those things, like, you know, do the thing follow us over there. I, I'd, I'd appreciate it. Um, but let's get on to the, the main, main thing that we're talking about in this part of the show. We're talking about Moon Knight episode three. That's why you're here. You're here to discuss spoilers with me. Uh, cause that's what I'm going to do in Moon Knight episode three. And again, this is the part of the show where I talk about a show or, uh, a movie that I'm watching or have watched. It's kind of replaced what we used to do called the OTE on today's episode. So let's, let's, jump right into it. So in Moon Knight episode three, uh, 
I may get some of these pieces mixed up. Arthur Harrow, Harrow, Arthur Harrow, he finds the dig site of Amit. Uh, and it's funny cause the scene that he's in, he's holding the scarab and it's like looking around and then it points straight down and he tells all of his followers, you know, he's walking through the desert, all these followers and there's some dudes in Jeeps in the back and he tells them, we found it. We found Amit's tomb and they all cheer and they're very excited. I don't know why the dude didn't drive, especially he's got like glass in his sandals. It must've taken them forever to get to Amit's tomb unless, uh, unless it was right out of right out of town. I said Amit's tune. I meant Amit's tomb. Um, so why didn't he drive? That was my first question of the show. Layla is over here getting a, a fake Egyptian passport. She's working with this old lady who's, you know, they've got a rhythm down. Like uh, she puts the goggles down over her head. She stamps it. She laminates it. She gets it printed off over here. And then they grab the book over here and they choose which one. Uh, it's like they've, like they've done this a few times. So Layla, we've got... Uh, some very serious suspicions that she has been maybe a mercenary, maybe in the spy game, just kind of like Mark Spector as well. Uh, then there's some more blackout scenes for Oscar Isaac's character. But this time, unlike the first episode where he was blacking out and we assume becoming Mark Spector, Mark Spector was blacking out and we assume becoming Stephen Grant. And they're looking for info on where Amit's tomb is. And so they're, they're like questioning these thugs. And then he blacks out after he's done fighting them. And then he's in a taxi cab and he's getting a ride to the airport. And then he sees the thugs and he's chasing them again. Um, and Mark Spector's really confused. And then he blacks out again and he comes to. And when he comes to, he uh, has a knife buried into one of these dudes and he's like Stephen what did you do and he's talking to him through the the reflection and Stephen is like hey I uh it wasn't me I didn't do this and so in the comics there is a third personality Jake Lockley who is a a taxi cab driver in New York and so there's there's kind of a um a a, a double double kind of paradigm going on the internet, not paradigm, a double. There's two different narratives going on on the internet right now. Whether this, the, the person who killed the thug, the third personality is Jake Lockley. And there's another camp of people that say that, well, maybe it's not Jake Lockley. Maybe it is Conchu taking more control over his avatar uh, body. But that doesn't seem to me the way the series is going. It seems like Conchu is very limited in what he can do as was showcased in that second episode where he was like moving things around with the wind and throwing a little tantrum as Arthur Harrow said. Uh, then they capture one of the thugs and Conchu uh, says, hold him out over the cliff and he'll talk. And so Mark's holding this kid out, you know, by a, a tie, a scarf or something like that. And the kid says, you know, all, all praise Amit or something. And he cuts it and falls to his death. And kind of a comedic line after that, Conchu goes, oh, I thought he would talk. Um, so then there's an accusation by Conchu because they can't, they cannot find Arthur Harrow. Uh, the thugs didn't talk. They don't have the scarab. They're kind of at a dead end. So Conchu goes, well, I'm going to do something that might get me in trouble, might get me imprisoned in stone. This is the second or third time that we've heard him talk about be being imprisoned in stone. And so what he does 
is he causes an eclipse. And so it's night right in the middle of the day. And this gets the attention of the other gods that are the other Egyptian gods that are part of the Ennead. So he blots out the sun and he meets uh, Horus and Isis and Tefnut and Osiris and Hathor. And they go inside the Giza pyramid. There's like little doorways that open up all over the place and they, they all go and meet and their, their gods, the respective gods take over the respective avatars. I did see some stuff online about maybe one of the Egyptian avatars being closely related to the Wakandan and black Panther lore. So we may see some expansion of that. Maybe not in this show, but this could just be kind of like the first little breadcrumb that's going to lead us to that. Maybe even in Wakanda forever. I don't know. So anyway, Conchu uh, lays out his accusation against Arthur Harrow and says that he's trying to revive Amit and find her tomb and bring her back so she can essentially kill everybody on Earth that has been bad or that will that will be bad. Um, and Arthur talks himself out of it. He says, this guy's crazy. He's unwell. He, there's more than just him in here. And, and they said, we want to talk to your avatar, Conchu. And, and Mark comes back out and he says, yeah, I am unwell, but that doesn't mean that Arthur, Arthur is not like a liar and trying to do the things that Conchu says he's trying to do. And there's a scene later, but I, it, it made me wonder, are there other gods that are working with Arthur Harrow? Uh, essentially working with Amit. Um, one of the gods confides in Mark and says that, hey, you know, Amit, you know, nobody knows the, the location of Amit's tomb except for this one guy who knew. So they got to go find his sarcophagus to see how he laid out the map according to stars. So Mark and Layla make it to this rich dude's house who is, um, his name is Anton Mogart, uh, who in the comics played Midnight Man, who was was played uh, by Gaspard Uleli. I'm, I'm saying that wrong. It's U-L-L-I-E-L. Uliel, Gaspard Uliel, uh, who passed away in the ski accident this last January. Um, and I don't know if that means that the scene that he was in, because apparently he got... It looked like he got skewered as he was running away. Um, so it didn't, maybe it didn't say that he was dead definitively. I can't remember. It's been a minute since I watched this, watched this episode. Uh, but I don't know if they're, they will recast him if they had more plans for Midnight Man is, is what I'm saying. But they go to this guy's house to raid the sarcophagus of Self or Seth for the coordinates of Amit's tomb. And Madripoor gets a mention. I think Layla and Anton, they knew each other at one point or or his his top bodyguard guy, Beck. I think maybe he knew Layla and Madripoor was also also a location in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And in the comics, there's like a dive bar there that Wolverine goes to. So, again, uh, another little piece of connectivity between these series, which, you know, you'll love to see. So then Arthur shows up, this son of a bitch, as they're looking at the sarcophagus. Mark and Stephen are arguing over, you know, who needs to look at the sarcophagus because Stephen understands, like, the Egyptian hieroglyphics and he understands, like, how to read this stuff. Well, Mark does not. And Layla's like, give him the body, I'll distract him. But Arthur shows up 
and kind of ruins the show. And then they're drug out of the little, little place where the sarcophagus is. I don't, not before Stephen Grant grabs some uh, tattered parchment that has like the, the, the astral location of Amit's tomb. Uh, but they're pulled out. And Arthur's like, hey, Layla, you know, you, you can't get over your father's death and who killed him. And Mark, you know, why won't you tell the truth to Layla? Kind of putting that wedge uh, between it. And then they all fight. And there was a really funny scene where uh, Stephen is in control of the body and he summons the suit, the Moon Knight, you know, three piece tuxedo or whatever the hell he was wearing in the first one. And he wants to talk it out with the bad guys. And they begin skewering him with these javelins. Uh, but before that, he was like, Mark, I can handle it. I can handle it. Give me a, um, I'll, here's the suit. I can handle it. He gets, starts getting skewered with these javelins. And then he's like, I can't handle it, Mark. I can't handle it. Take the body. Take the body, Mark. So they switch. And then, you know, Mark's version of the Moon Knight suit comes out. And he jumps off of this thing. And it's like the moon, the, like the crescent in his cape, kind of a cool comic book looking thing um and then they go to the desert after they're done fighting arthur's arthur's gotten away but they still have this thing and mark can't figure out the puzzle so he rips off this mirror and he he takes the puzzle out into the sand and gives it gives it to steven gives the body to steven and steven puts it together he's using like tape and the the thing that really weirded me out if you saw the episode which hopefully you did before i just spoiled the whole thing for you uh, they were trying to put together this astral map on the hood of a Jeep out in the desert. Uh, but Steven took it out to the sand, set it down in the sand, and he's taping it together in the sand. The whole time, I was just thinking, man, what are you doing? You're going to get sand in all of your tape. But regardless, he figures it out. And he says um, it's not going to work because these stars are not in the same position as they were, you know, thousands of years ago when this tomb uh, was was made for Amit. And Khonshu says, well, I can turn back the night sky, but then they're, they're surely they're going to imprison me in stone. And so Stephen, as Moon Knight, he turns into his fancy-suited Moon Knight, and he and Khonshu began turning back the night sky. And stars are whipping past and and he's putting everything back into the place where it was thousands of years ago. And then Layla like triangulates, you know, where the tomb is. But as they're doing this, Conchu's obviously getting weaker. Then it shows the the rest of the Ennead are together and they're holding hands and they're, you know, turning Conchu into the little stone statue that he was he was worried about. At the end of the episode, they know where the tomb is. Stephen, Mark, passed out in Layla's arms, and Conchu is a little tiny stone figurine. Arthur Harrow comes into the Giza Pyramid where uh, Stephen is, shepherded by the this bald dude who is one of the avatars of uh, one of these Egyptian gods, and he he then he leaves, and so that's why I think that this at least this guy is a betrayer among the other gods. And I, I, you know, don't want to say that this story is very atypical, very, um, or not atypical, stereotypical, very tropey, but I think it, it might be in that, you know, there is a traitor among them. Because obviously the one god, the one Egyptian, and it'd be really helpful if I knew these characters' names, was helping Mark Spector. 
So they, they're not devoid of their own alliances. But Arthur goes in and he picks up the little statue and he's talking talking shit to Conchu. Um, my big question here, going into episode four, is can Mark, can Steven, can maybe this third personality, if there is one, still become Moon Knight without Conchu? Like, do they still hold the power of Conchu or are they going to have to free Conchu first? In which case it would seem like, you know, one step forward, two steps back kind of, kind of situation. Um, and it, uh, that was kind of the end of the episode again, you know, really cool after credits. I still wish there was a cool opening intro, um, but great episode overall. It's keeping me hooked. It's very exciting. I saw someone else say that, you know, kind of the mystery surrounding, uh, Mark Spector's different personalities, Stephen Grant's different personalities is more intriguing than the action sequences that they're all invo- involved in. But I had a great time with this, especially the fight with the um, with the horses. Now, and something else, though, it's not part of the episode, but I've seen it a lot on the Internet uh, recently. So just thought I should uh, mention it. Apparently, in episode number two, uh, Ethan Hawke's character, Arthur Harrow, used some Mandarin in his little commune that he was, that he's building. And he used this Mandarin to talk to some, some gal, I think that was playing soccer or something in the street. And I guess it was really bad. Like there were no subtitles provided. It just said, you know, parentheses, uh, Arthur speaks Mandarin and, or Mandarin dialogue or something like that, something generic. And even, uh, Shang-Chi, Simu Liu, got on to tweet, you know, whoever helped Arthur Harrow learn Mandarin maybe should take a class or two or something along those lines. Like he was not impressed with the Mandarin that uh, Ethan Hawke spoke as well. And, you know, you could say, oh, well, they didn't do a good job having him learn fluent Mandarin. But maybe Arthur Harrow is just kind of a D-bag (laughs) And he just doesn't speak very good Mandarin and the people around him just kind of uh, capitulate to him and coddle to him because he is going to bring back this God. And he is the the avatar. He is the prophet of the the goddess Amit. Um, So maybe maybe that's why. But I thought it was well worth mentioning. If you'll give me a moment to take a deep breath and have some time pass. We'll talk about episode number four. And ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to episode number four of Moon Knight. And there will be spoilers just like episode three for episode four as we're going going through this thing. And I know this is all in the same podcast episode, so it may seem very disjointed to you. But to me, it's much more disjointed because I, I haven't been into Moon Knight for a week and I just watched the fourth episode and it was it was it was probably my least favorite episode so far. It did move the story forward in a meaningful way, and so I thought that was important. I thought that was good to do. Um, and and <laughs> I, I've written down no notes for it. So this is I'm just I'm running off of a a pure Oscar Isaac adrenaline right now. And so uh, let's see what what kind of happened. What went on? What are some big questions that are in the 
in this episode. In the beginning of the episode, or somewhere near the beginning, uh, one of the Egyptian gods is carrying the little tiny statue, or little little tiny jar, or, or vase, or whatever it is, of Khonshu down the hall. Now he's imprisoned in stone, and he sets him on a little bookcase with a little tiny little tiny candle, and the, the camera pans back, and there's all of these other what I assume are gods that are trapped inside their own respective little statues. And so at the end of the show, maybe leading into the multiverse of madness, I know I keep bringing that up, but maybe this very small and subdued sect of the, these uh, Egyptian gods, maybe a whole pantheon of Egyptian gods is released. And I, I don't know much about Egyptian theology. I mean, I've read into it a little bit, but I'm not like super well-versed. I'm not like one of these uh, e- Egyptian theology nuts. Uh, but I know that there is supposed to be like, there's like a bunch of like greater gods and then lesser gods. And there's a, a shit ton of them, a metric shit ton of these gods. So anyway, uh, that happens. Curious about that. Um, Layla and Layla and a passed out Stephen Grant. Maybe that's where the show kicked off or the episode kicked off. Uh, Stephen Grant's passed out from, you know, spinning the stars back to where they were in the previous episode and some people attack and she throws a flare onto an ammo case when they're not looking, blows them up and they take off. They, they make it to this tomb because they figured out where in the last episode they make it to this tomb uh, that is like a dig site that's been totally abandoned. There's nobody around and they, they're looking intense. And I saw on the ground, I saw the, the pick. And I was like, is that is that the pick? Is that the, the nose picker? You know, they used to like pull the brain out through the nose or pull organs out through the nose when they were, when ancient Egyptians were setting up people to be mummified. With the, you know, they'd pull out a certain number of organs and, and they'd set them aside for different reasons. I, I don't know what they are. But I saw it and I was like, oh shit. People have been doing some mummifying things here at this dig site. And sure shit, they go down and there are like these mummies, like these zombified mummies in the MCU. And it is probably one of the most magic, one of the most fantastic, one of the most, the biggest sci-fi moments that we've seen in the MCU thus far, which is really, really cool. Um, it also leads to one of the, I think, maybe most horrific scenes that we've seen in the MCU to this point. Uh, because this mummy, you know, uh, Steven and Layla, they hide. Oh, they share a kiss, too. I'll talk about that in a second. So um, this mummy brings this dude in, one of Arthur Harrow's men, we are, we are led to believe, and slams him down on this, this tablet and starts ripping him open. And yeah, you don't see much, but you do see him dropping these organs into different jars around his feet. And he's straight up uh, murdering this guy and, and taking his organs out. And so they, they get attacked and separated. Um, and Layla goes one way and Stephen goes another way. And Stephen finds the tomb. Uh, and he, he recognizes the writing as ancient Macedonian. And he's like, oh my God, this is the, the long lost hidden... Um, oft-rumored ancient tomb of Alexander the Great. And he's like, holy cow, I can't believe this. 
And they did some puzzle at first. Before they go down into the tomb, though, they're, they're going to belay their way down there. They, they're all tied off and shit. And <laughs> Mark has already warned Stephen not to make advances on Layla. Uh, but there's, they're at the top of this tomb. They're getting ready to, to zip down. And they share a moment and a little kiss. And, man, what a weird situation for for... I mean, Stephen, yeah, Mark, yeah, but Layla, most definitely, because this is the man that she's been married to, but it's also not the man that she's been married to. Like, how bizarre, and how bizarre would it be Marvel, and I don't know what the the comic book precedent for this is, but how bizarre would it be that if Layla had (laughs) different relationships with each one of these personalities, Mark, uh, Stephen, and then what we presume to be the third, maybe murderous, maybe very bloodthirsty personality that's living inside their body that we assume is there, or unless it was Conchu doing the murdering in episode three, we don't know. Uh, so they share a kiss. She goes down into the tomb, and Mark seemingly, this gives him the power to take over a part of Steven's body, and he punches himself in the face. So what else happens? So they get separated, and when they're separated, Layla very barely escapes a zombie attack, nearly falls down a a ravine, and as she finds her way up, who on the other side of this ravine comes out but Arthur Harrow? And Arthur's like, hey, did, did, uh, did he tell you, you know, what happened to your father? And she's like, what are you talking about? Oh, and previously, Stephen broke the news to her that Conchu had threatened Mark that he was going to take over her body uh, if Mark did not serve as the avatar of Conchu. And so Arthur says, well, you know, your dad was this great um, archaeologist and everyone looked up to him and he was killed by a band of mercenaries. And she's like, what, you're going to tell me that that Mark did it? And he's like, well, you said it yourself. How's that make you feel? And she's like, shut up, you piece of I don't know. I don't remember what she said. Um but anyway, we get this revel- revelation that Mark was part of the mercenary group that killed Layla's father. Layla confronts him about this later at the tomb of Alexander the Great. And she's like, hey, did you kill my dad? And he, you know, he tried to deflect. Once again, it's Mark because Stephen doesn't want to deal with this. Um, he tries to deflect and then he goes, no, I was there. I was there, but my partner got greedy and he was the one that killed everybody. So, uh, and then she says, well, that's where we, that's how we met. We met because you felt guilty. You had a, you know, sudden rush of conscience that you were like, I, I, I feel bad about what I did. And that's the reason we met. And so she's feeling all, all kinds of some kind of way. Oh, previous to that though, uh, it is, it's kind of revealed that Alexander the great was the, the, one of the previous avatars of Amit, which could explain his uh, his reign across the known world at the time. Um, so he finds Amit's little statue, like the little Conchu statue, inside the mouth of Alexander the Great. And, and it's it's funny because you've got this guy Stephen Grant, who is a incredible like. Uh, Egyptian historian who's really fascinated by the the culture, really respectful of all of the the theology uh, about it, and here he is desecrating this tomb, this this what would be just a remarkable discovery 
of Alexander the Great in this tomb. And here he is, you know, ripping open the the mummified corpse of Alexander the Great to retrieve retrieve this thing. So he gets that. They kind of get in a back and forth. He gives her the statue of Amit, I believe. And and then they hear the bad guys coming. And uh, Mark manages to take out like three of the guys and Arthur shoots him in the chest twice and he, he seemingly dies. Now, this is where this episode takes like a huge twist. Like I did not, I did not see this coming and I don't know if maybe this is the reason why I didn't like the episode as much as the first three. Um, but it does put, <laughs> it puts Mark Spector in then like some kind of uh, mental institution and there's all these people and they're playing bingo and it's very white and it's, it's uh, a thing that we've seen before, but uh, not in this, in this show per se, but someone, you know, maybe thinking they're crazy and then, you know, not really being crazy, but then, well, maybe you were crazy the whole time and I didn't catch it, but I did watch a couple of videos online Uh, There are all kinds of people that we've already met in the series. There is the woman that he worked with at the museum, uh, his boss or that mid-level manager there. There's the statue guy is there in the institution as well. And then Layla there is there, of course, also who and it's funny, she stole his bingo card because he won bingo, but he's in kind of a catatonic state and she took his card and she's like, you won. And she's like, I'll split it with you this time, I swear. And she runs up to collector prize. Mark is then wheeled in to talk to the psychologist, um, who is Arthur Harrow. And he talks to him and, uh, well, he doesn't talk because Mark's kind of like groggy and he's like, man, we had to sedate you because if you had one of your episodes again, it'd be a little, you know, we don't want you to get out of hand, out of pocket. And he finally, he finally figures out how to, how to put the words together. And he says, you shot me. And, oh, oh, that was, that was the thing. Um, there was a, a really cool transition where into the, into the, uh, mental institution, the insane asylum, there's like a flashlight and that flashlight or a, no, what happened? How was it? I'm getting it all mixed up now. Oh, when he was shot by Arthur Harrell, he fell into a pool of water. As he is drifting down this very, very deep-seeming pool of water, there's a reflection of the moon, and he kind of drifts into it. And that that reflection of the moon takes a center spot in the film, in the film, in the show, and it slowly turns into like a flashlight and then the aspect ratio changes and it's in this old school looking TV show where this young boy is holding this flashlight uh, and he is uh, looking for a tomb along with famed renowned adventurer Stephen Grant, some other guy who apparently this is an old movie and this old movie is being watched by Mark Spector. And so it's like, is is Mark just been insane this whole time thinking that he is also famed archaeologist and explorer Indiana Jones style Stephen Grant from this movie that he's watched over and over and over again in this institution. And what was it? Arthur Harrow even said something while they were having their discussion. He was like, well, is this about that movie that you like to watch? I did watch it. And the villain was very intriguing. He said something along the lines of um, a tree can only uh, can only touch uh, its bows to the 
to heaven as long as its roots go down far enough to touch hell or something like that. Um, but anyway, Mark kind of comes to, he escapes from his chair. He crawls out he fights the, the attendants and he starts running down the hall. And that's when things start getting a little sideways. They, the room starts to tilt. The hallway starts to tilt. Things are rolling to one side. Lights are, are leaning to one side and he opens up a door and in the door is a sarcophagus and it's someone's pounding on it from the inside. He removes the sarcophagus lid and it opens up to himself. Well, not to himself, to Stephen Grant. And he's like, I knew it. I knew it. And so now there's two Oscar Isaacs, very impressive effects at this point, because the thing when, whenever they do the same actor playing multiple roles in the same scene together, it always strikes me because I always try and find like the line. I try and find the line down the middle of the screen where they have just taken the two shots and they've spliced them together. And the, these Oscar Isaacs were so close together. I didn't really, I didn't really see that line. Like it was very well done. Anyway, they're, they're running down the hall looking for an escape. They see another sarcophagus who that's banging around. They do not open it. Uh, and this is, I assume where the third personality is hiding out. They make it down to the end of the hall and these double doors, there's a silhouette on the other side and they open up and there is a, uh, there is a large hippopotamus goddess dressed in Egyptian garb and both Steven and Mark, they, they scream and they take a step back and that's where the episode ends. I have no idea. I have no idea that what that, what that is all about. I, I did watch some stuff or I read some stuff online and that is an Egyptian goddess, uh, that was actually referenced in the first episode of moon Knight. So if you go back to the first episode and Steven is putting away a, a box of hippo dolls in the gift shop that he works in. And, uh, she's like, well, put away those hippos. And he's like, they're not hippos. They're this goddess. And I can't recall her name at the, at this present time. Um, but he goes to put them away. So that's like a callback and a, a cool foreshadowing moment in the series so far, but that's where it ends. And still no in credit scene. If you've been waiting after for in credit scenes, I have scoured, I've scanned, I've scrubbed, and there are no in credit scenes just yet. But that was that was the fourth episode of Moon Knight. My least favorite, a lot of exposition. It did move the story forward, but not a lot of action. I mean, there was a couple quick scenes with the mummies. And I couldn't tell if it was more than one mummy. Had to have been. Had to have been, because she, like, killed one. And Arthur's goons were still fighting on the other side of the wall, assuming they were fighting mummies as well. A very violent scene for the MCU. Like, uh, what was his name? The Captain America ripoff in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Gosh, I can't even remember him now. The one that weirdly a bunch of people on the internet sympathized with and were like, I get where he's coming from, though. Yeah, he's a pretty good guy. <laughs> he's a pretty good guy. Uh, when he when he bashed that dude's head in that was running from him with the shield. Oh, what a good image that was. Like the blood on the shield and just like the, the tarnished namesake of the Captain America mantle. And how sad Sam Wilson was when he had that shield in his hands in the warehouse. How pissed off Bucky was. Oh, man. That was a good part of that show. Maybe I need to rethink where I rated Falcon and the Winter Soldier on my tier list from last week. Maybe not. Maybe if I think of more cool moments like that. Maybe it'll... it'll 
is that what it is? Is it recency bias? No, impossible, because WandaVision and Loki came out before Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So it's 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 not that. It just it was too broken apart thinking about it now. Anyway, Moon Knight, uh, okay, fourth episode, not great. I'm hoping to see some more action in episodes four, uh, five, and six. What we're most likely going to see is uh, Stephen and Mark struggling to rescue Conchu in episode five. We're gonna probably see see them get their powers back at near the middle or end of the episode, and then uh, episode six is gonna be the big big climax. At least that's the way that it's shaping up now. So, did you see? Moon Knight episode three and four. Gosh, I hope you did. If you have some some cool revelations or theories that you've heard, you've read, or you've come up with, you know, get in get in touch with me. Put them put them in uh, an email form or a comment form, and and shoot them through the old internet, <laughs> and I'll bring them up on the next on the next Moon Knight uh, episode. So next week is going to be um, another. Another something else, probably Masters of the Universe, if I had to guess. Uh, next week's is is probably going to be that, but then the week after I will do the final two episodes of Moon Knight. And then we're right into Doctor Strange, guys. I'm very excited. Maybe I'll make that a double episode day where I do like my regular episode with Moon Knight and all the video game and movie stuff. And then... um put out a second episode after I finally get to see Doctor Strange that day because I am seeing it on May the 6th. Anyway, let's move on to the last part of the show, shall we? And that brings us to the missives section of the show where I where I answer your emails, your comments, your tweets, your, your DMs, and your other missives. Uh, unfortunately, you haven't written in so, so long... And life out here on the front lines has been tough. It's been hard. If you would like me to read your question on an episode of Culture Jack, just send me an email. Or you can connect with me on social media at Culture Jack. And all of those links are in the description down below. And so I know what you're thinking. Why would you have a missives section without missives? Why would you have a letters section without letters, uh, an email or comment section without either of those things? And I'll tell you, it's because I want to. I <laughs> I am this close. I swear to God, I am this close to starting a, <laughs> a sponsored section of the podcast where I talk to you about today's sponsor, even though I'm without sponsor. So it doesn't seem that far off that I would have a letters section of the show without having letters. So in the meantime, while you are thinking of a really good question to ask on this podcast, while you are thinking of a a really good comment or contribution to any of the things that we've talked about here today or on any of our episodes, I have, I have snuck into the, into the, the mansion of the Australian boys over at the weekly planet, uh, where one of their committed caring and community minded listeners have written into them. So I took a a question from, uh, episode 428 that was on April 3rd and their listener said, what are old movies that you would recommend? Now I I realize I didn't have to take this question from them. Uh, but I, I think some of the questions that I hear on other podcasts, uh, 
they are they are so thought provoking, and I answer them myself while I am listening. And maybe this isn't isn't that one. This is more of a generic question. Anyway, write me your questions, and I'll answer those instead. Old movies that I'd rec- recommend. Um, now, old movies they they kind of they hit different, uh, you know. And looking back on them, they don't seem as good. And I may have talked about this before, but the effects have aged. Uh, so where, you know, a lot of the stuff that I like is, is sci-fi, it's supernatural, it's fantasy. And, you know, the effects, even, even 10 years ago, even 20 years ago, were not as good as they are today. And though I am maybe a little bit snobby about it when it comes to effects into animation, I just can't look at those movies the same way, except through a lens of nostalgia, which will, will oftentimes get me through the movie already, but it's not just the effects that haven't aged well in old movies. Uh, the pacing is different. There's a lot more what I feel like, uh, extraneous footage, a lot more extra scenes than there needs to be. And I think maybe that's not necessarily the movie, but if you, if you look at the pacing of movies that are shot today versus movies that were shot those, those 10, 15 years ago, uh, they're a lot slower than the ones they are today. And I don't know if it is a byproduct of just movie and filmmaking evolving. Well, I'm sure it's that for one, but evolving because of our, our ever shortening attention spans where a 10 minute YouTube video is now too long and you have to, you have to subsist on these 15, 30 second film bites on an app like TikTok or something. So I think the pacing is a byproduct of our ever shortening attention spans. The quality in movies seems to have gone down and that could be attributed to advancing technology and things like that. Uh, and I think overall, like the writing in movies has gotten so much better, so much more deliberate. And we are not simply relying on long held tropes and stereotypes. There really has to be uh, innovation and creativity in, in movie making. Now, all of that being said, uh, to say this, it is not all old movies that I feel uh, have fallen into these traps. Uh, there are a couple movies that that do I do hold near and dear to my heart uh, because of the timeless story that they're telling. Uh, the first one is The Matrix, and that is a movie that I loved right from the get-go. I'm bringing you back to a time, 1990, what was it, 96, 98? Uh, when the matrix first came out and I remember seeing the previews for that and just thought, what the hell is this? And then I went to the movie and I, th- I thought, what the hell is this? And I don't know if it was just so inspiring because of, like I talked about with Max Payne, like the bullet time and the, the multiple cameras that they used to put that shot together. Or if, if it was because of like an existential moment that I had in my first experience with like simulation theory, like we could all be living in a simulation. And in this case, we're all living in a simulation to be used as batteries by a robot race that has dominated the human species for a long time. Uh, That movie, it still holds a place near and dear to my heart. And I haven't gone back and watched it probably in, in 10 years or so. No, it's been longer than that. It's been at least 15 years. So it's, it's a half of my life away, 
uh, that I'm separated from this movie, but I do want to watch it again. I want to watch it with my son when he gets a little bit older, because it is a little bit, a little bit violent. Um, but I just think that it, it can't be beat in terms of like a sci-fi epic masterpiece. Now, whether you want to expand that on to the the sequel and the last one of that trilogy as well, I don't know if you'd want to do that. But if you are uh, a fan of the Matrix universe and you have not yet taken a look at the Animatrix, uh, which is an anthology piece uh, by a, a series of different anime directors and studios uh, and their take on the Matrix universe, I would highly recommend it. It's it's so, so good. Uh, the second one is, I know this one has aged poorly, uh, Mall Rats by Kevin Smith. And it was one of, one of his movies, um, and I don't remember much about it. It's not one that I hold as near and dear to my heart, though it is a movie that I remember very fondly because I watched it a lot with my brother when we were younger, before, you know adulthood and all the trials and tribulations and laws and <laughs> prisons got in the way. I watched it. I watched it a lot with my brother. He had the whole thing memorized. Uh, it was very funny to me at the time. And I have not watched this one in 20, 25 years. Now, maybe, uh, Roscoe, if you do ever listen to my podcast, when you get out of jail and we do have the good fortune of meeting once again, maybe we can sit down and watch Watch Mall Rats, eh? Uh, the Transformers movie is a good old movie that I would recommend. Now, I know what you're thinking. Michael Bay, all of those movies really didn't hold up to Transformers lore and the, the long legacy, the long proud legacy of the Transformer show. No, I'm not talking about the Michael Bay features. True fans of the, of the Culture Jack podcast will know that I'm talking about the Transformers movie with, uh, what was it, Megatron and Unicron. And what was it that they took out of Optimus Prime and it was like the heart of of the Transformers? Animation in that, yeah, most of it wasn't good, but there was a lot of it. <laughs> okay, it was actually pretty good, if my memory serves. Uh, and then if I, if I had to recommend anything else to a listener of this podcast, I would recommend these three anime uh, and in this order as well might I add Ghost in the Shell uh, if you have if your only experience with Ghost in the Shell is the Scarlett Johansson remake or live action adaptation of that movie uh, I would I would beg you to reconsider Ghost in the Shell even Ghost in the Shell 2 is good but definitely the first Ghost in the Shell the next one I recommend is a anime mainstay, a staple, an anime classic, Akira. If you have not seen Akira, the animation in that is, uh, it's amazing. I mean, they did another one uh, called, I think it was Memories, is the one I'm thinking of. No, Steam Boy. I think Steam Boy was the, the next film that that studio did, or at least that director. Uh, and then finally, Ninja Scroll. Now, Ninja Scroll is not for the faint of hearted. It is very violent. It is very sexually violent. Um, but the animation is very good. And this one holds a special place in my heart because I did watch this one staying up late in my parents' house on Showtime late at night. So it took me like four or five nights to get through this whole thing because every time I heard a movement upstairs, 
I'd shut it off because I knew it was not an appropriate thing for my teenage self to be to be watching. But these are the three anime that I consider kind of the godfathers uh, of anime. So if you haven't watched any of those, and and really, as far as old movies, I'm sure there's other ones, but those are the ones that came came to mind right away. And with that, that brings it brings us to the end of the show. We're done. We're done. We talked. Uh, about some movie news. We talked about Ezra Miller, everything's going on on there, the Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Awards. We talked about the BAFTA Video Game Awards for 2022. We talked about Max Payne uh, being rebooted by Rockstar and Remedy and all of the weird things going on at HBO Max Discovery, Warner Bros. Discovery. Um, But tune in next week, and I will give you my full thoughts on Masters of the Universe. I know there's going to be some some very contentious claims made by me, some very contentious ideas rebuffed by you, probably. I mean, if you find yourself to be a particular member of a certain audience, I would love for you to send me money <laughs> to pay for the hosting services uh, for Culture Jack, the podcast, for, to, to pay for the servers that this podcast rests on. Oh, that's too much? That's too much to ask uh, to, to put out my hand and say, place a dollar within my palm. Please do it. Well, in that case, if you don't have the extra cash on hand, but you would like to support myself and the Culture Jack podcast, you can support the show by leaving a review and sharing it with just one friend. Like if it's a long car ride, put us on. You know, maybe one of these news stories or maybe one of uh, my weird old movies that I like or maybe a recent episode of Moon Knight where I've got maybe a a little extra insight into something that's going on maybe sparks a conversation between you two. You pause the podcast, you have a good conversation about it. I I think that would be a, a fine place to listen to Culture Jack. You know, shoot me an email or connect on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Beams, at Culture Jacked or with the links down in the, the, the description down below. I'm doing an awful lot of stuttering today. But that's it for the show. Tune in next week. Maybe I'll find my brand. I hope your week was great and your weekend was even better. Cheers. Cheers.